Hi, this is David Flower, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Amen. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Good morning, Grantham Church. If you're visiting with us, welcome. My name is David Flowers. I'm a senior pastor here at Grantham. Yes, our children are invited to Kids on Worship at this time, or you can stand here and continue to worship with us. So great to be together on Easter Sunday. Amen. Reflect on what God the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has done in raising Jesus Christ from the dead, and all of its implications, which we're going to think a little bit about about here this morning. Uh, This is the concluding message in our Lent to Easter series, Broken Signposts. And we've been looking at signposts in the human experience that point us beyond ourselves and beyond this world, signposts that point to the God who looks like Jesus, it points to the good news, and ultimately to the coming of a new world, or as N.T. Wright says, how Christianity makes sense of the world. That is the subtitle of Wright's book, Broken Signposts, which inspired this series. And Wright says that every worldview must explain these seven signposts that we presently experience as broken and seemingly unattainable, like justice and love, spirituality, beauty, freedom, truth, and power. As we've heard each week throughout our series, Wright argues that Christianity presents a compelling and relevant explanation for why these signposts are broken, but also how these markers point to the transcendent God and ultimately to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus as the start of new creation, which John wants us to see in the way he's composed his gospel. And I just want to thank the visual arts team for all that they've done to help us to visualize what we're talking about here, what we've been doing here in this series. And so here's where we've been in this series. We look at each signpost now except for one, and that final signpost for Easter Sunday is the signpost of power. If you're taking notes, I've entitled this message, The Power of the Cross and of the Empty Tomb. Uh, Last Sunday, we were in John chapter 18, where Jesus goes before Pilate after being condemned by the Sanhedrin. And our main focus on Palm Sunday was the signpost, truth. And we heard Pilate ask Jesus, what is truth? The Latin, quid est veritas? What is truth? You may remember I said that Pilate only knew one truth. His his truth was, I have the power and you don't. I also said that when a society decides that there are no universal laws and objective truths, then everything becomes about the will to power and who can use power to dominate others. And that's not a place that we want to be in as a nation because once we believe that we're in a constant power struggle to exert our will and agenda over others and and truth claims just become weapons for us to use, then we not only lose the truth, 
but we end up dehumanizing and demonizing others made in God's image, and that leads to some scary places, let me tell you. Therefore, we need to resist reducing everything down to power, which our culture wants to do, or people become nothing more than pawns for us to selfishly use to get what we want. And American society will slip further into darkness. But it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't. So as followers of Jesus, how should we, how should we view power? And we can certainly see how power is broken today. But is it a signpost? And if so, what's it pointing to? And what does this have to do with Easter? Would you pray with me? Father, we once again open up our hearts to you and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. Lord, remove all the distractions from our hearts and our minds in this moment. All the things that are coming after the service, help us to be present. Help us to be present to your spirit and attentive to your voice. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's begin with a scripture reading from John chapter 19. You want to go and open up to John chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16 in just a moment. As you're turning to John 19, let me just set the context here. As we said last week, Pilate is playing a power game here between uh, himself, the, the Roman government, and the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. But he's also sitting on a powder keg and navigating a delicate situation. Think about this. It's Passover where thousands, thousands of people come and pour into Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. The pilgrims coming into Jerusalem. And so there's always the potential for something unruly to happen. And there's been a history of violence in Judea, a number of people claiming to be messiahs. And this is like an outpost on the, uh, the outer rim, if you will, of the Roman Empire, not a post that someone like Pilate would want to be put in, right? But he's got to work his way up and uh, move into maybe better positions. So he wants to keep the peace. And he wants to keep his position. And he knows that Jesus has a large following, but is hated by others, clearly by the Sanhedrin. And so Pilate tries to get them to judge Jesus by their own law, but the Jewish leaders, they want him executed. And it's not something they can do themselves. They need Pilate's help. And Pilate has talked with Jesus. He doesn't seem to believe he's a threat. Jesus has talked about himself having a kingdom that is not of this world. That's in John 18, verse 36. And so clearly, whoever Jesus is, he isn't a violent revolutionary like some other messiahs that, you know, came about and were, were crushed by the sword or, or seemed to be a real threat to Rome in Pilate's mind. So Pilate asks the crowd, you remember this, to choose between Barabbas, a known murderer and insurrectionist who's in Roman custody, and between Barabbas and Jesus, Jesus a rabbi, a miracle worker who they claim is a blasphemer. And so the crowd shouts for the release of Barabbas and for Pilate to crucify Jesus. All right, that's enough context. Let's look at John 19, verse 1. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. We call this the cat of nine tails. 
The soldiers wove a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. And Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, look, here is the man, or behold the man, Eche Omo, right? When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. And the Jewish leaders replied, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. Look at verse 8. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. Now, we need to ask ourselves, why is Pilate afraid? I said last week, Pilate's no softy, right? This guy has no qualms. He won't hesitate to crush a rebellion or to execute a would-be Messiah. But we need to, so we need to think about why John says this in verse 8, that Pilate was more afraid than ever. Why is he afraid? Well, first, Caesar was to Romans the divine son of God. They actually called him that. Caesar is the son of God. And so this is an obvious threat at this point to Caesar's throne. And no doubt this has elevated Pilate's concern at this point. So based on the entire narrative, it seems that Pilate is entertaining the charge both on a political as well as a religious level. Remember, Pilate is a polytheist who would have heard stories of deities appearing in human form and of judgment coming upon mortals who rejected them. And Pilate wasn't told anything about Jesus claiming to be a deity until now. Until now. Look at what Pilate does next. Verse 9, he took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? Now, Pilate isn't asking a geographical question. Pilate wants to know, is Jesus going to confess what he suspects is, a, is an identity not of this world? It's interesting you, you stop to think about it, that, that Pilate is closer to maybe accepting Jesus' true identity than the ones who want him dead. Hmm. So Pilate said, Jesus gave no answer, and Pilate said, why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded, don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? And then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. And then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. At this point, Pilate's thinking that word could get back to Rome. He doesn't want that. They say anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. So what are you going to do about it? Verse 13, when they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. And then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that's called the stone pavement. It was about the sixth hour on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king, obviously mocking them now. 
Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. And then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Cassian Andor is the main character in Disney's Star Wars streaming show, Andor. The show tells the story of how Cassian Andor, who's on the right here in this shot, if you've not been watching that, becomes a, how he becomes a rebel leader among the resistance against the mighty empire. And in this particular scene, Cassian is an inmate within a super max prison for a crime he didn't commit. And all of the prisoners just learn that the empire never intends on releasing them come the end of their sentence. Rather, these folks would simply get transferred to another level within the complex. As they learned this terrible truth after the imperial guards killed an entire floor to keep the truth hidden. But word leaked out and Cassian knew that they had to act fast, so he tries to convince the floor leader, Kino Loy, to join him in overthrowing the guards and escaping before it's too late. And the conversation in this scene goes like this. Cassian says to Kino, they're afraid. Right now, they're afraid. Kino says, afraid? Afraid of what? Cassian says, they just killed 100 men to keep them quiet. What would you call that? Kino says, I'd call that power. Cassian says, power? Power doesn't panic. Think about that, my friends. Think about that. Power, real power, doesn't panic. You see, everyone in power around Jesus of Nazareth panicked because of his radical teachings because of his miracles, because of his talk of an upside-down kingdom, one that operates according to love, not intimidation, not coercion or violence. And of course, they panicked because of his claims to be the ultimate power in the universe, which threatened the status quo and the way that they were running the world and wanted to continue to run the world. You see, my friends, God has power. And he's given us power to bring him glory. In fact, we can't get along in this world without utilizing power. Think about it. We use power to arrange and order society, to create and to build, to get things done and to move things forward. Laws are created for order in a fallen world, and they have to be enforced. Power creates infrastructure that we need, roads, communication system. Uh, electricity grids, and so on. Without power, uh, we, can't, we can't get along in this world. Without people using their power, nothing would get done. But unfortunately, power, as you know, is often wielded to bring death, not life, which highlights an important point. Power, like, say, the Force in Star Wars, can be used for good or for evil. And we need to remember that this morning. 
And according to Jesus, there are two kinds of power. There's power over, and then there is power under. There's power over, and there's power under, or power that comes alongside others. Therefore, I'm inviting us this morning to see God's power put on display through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. The way in which God overcomes evil. The way in which the world is being reordered by the gospel. The way of new creation. And the destination which our signposts are pointing and leading us if we're paying attention. So let's consider the mystery of this sort of power as the Apostle Paul articulates. And think of the, the irony of this. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul said, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Just think of it. Right? The very tool that was meant to evoke fear and trembling among the citizenry that said, that said this, you, you, you better stay in line or else. That's what the cross was for. It was a torture device that reminded people who was in charge. And God used this to reveal that fear and intimidation and threats and, and violence and right, power over are not the way to order a just world. The cross that was meant to enforce law and order and ensure peace and justice, we see through the cross of Christ, was shown to be evil when they crucified the only truly innocent person who ever lived, the spotless Lamb of God. And Paul is saying here in Colossians 2.15 that it's by the cross, the most horrifying way to kill a person in the Roman world, that Jesus defeated sin and death and the unjust systems that we have created. How ironic. How poetic. How divine. And though they intended to make a public spectacle of Christ as he hung naked, naked and bleeding and suffering on the cross, he actually exposed our broken systems of justice. He exposed our lust for power. He exposed our desire for a scapegoat to make it all better. He exposed our belief that the world can be tamed by fear and threats and intimidation and the power of the sword. And Jesus exposed it for what it is. And through this sacrificial act, through Calvary love, Jesus shows himself to be the true king. But let's be honest. We have a hard time trusting in cross power, don't we? We have a hard time trusting in cross power. And this is why Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, people of the world, people who have not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, have not accepted Christ and his way, look at the cross and say, well, that's just stupid. That's just foolish. That's just not practical. That's just no way of getting anything done to come with this sort of power. 
But you see, Paul is saying, for those of us who have been on the inside, who've been at the foot of the cross, we can see that it is the real power of God. It's the only way to get things done. But it requires a little suffering. You see, this isn't just a bunch of spiritual rhetoric that we're using here. No, Paul says a few chapters later in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a matter of what? Power. And we can only know real power, power used wisely when we look at Jesus. So think about what Jesus did with his power as the God-man. He didn't use his divine identity and powers to his own advantage. Remember what Paul says in Philippians chapter two. No, Jesus humbles himself. He takes up the role of a servant. He did this by healing the sick and the infirm. He used his power to give sight to the blind, to empower the powerless, to eat with those that religious people had discarded of, and to calm the storms that were raging on the sea as well as in people's hearts and minds. This is what Jesus did with his power. Jesus used his power to treat women, children, and Samaritans as equals with inherent worth. He used his power to speak for those who had no voice. He asked questions that broke up the argument, that caused people to drop their stones and to walk away, right? This is what Jesus did. He proposed a third way, a kingdom way that broke out of the the dichotomous way that people thought. It's black, it's white, it's left, it's right. And Jesus said, no, you're thinking wrongly. You're asking the wrong questions. You don't understand my father, nor do you understand my kingdom. Until you look at what power is like, when you look at Jesus on the cross, when you see him raised, You see, the Lord here in his life and his ministry as well as his death and resurrection embodied the servant leadership that he spoke of in Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45 when he took on the role of a slave and he washed his disciples' feet as we remembered in our Maundy Thursday service all before going to the cross. You juxtapose that picture of Jesus washing his disciples' feet to their protests mind you. He washed their disciples' feet, and then he goes and stands before worldly power. And the question for us is, which one will we choose? Which one will we trust in? Which one will we put our faith today? It's not just a matter of talk. This isn't just a bunch of religious lingo. This is the power of God to those who are being saved. Amen? Jesus proclaimed and embodied tal power. Think about that. Towel power as he washed their feet. He, he, he embodied and he proclaimed cross power. But to walk this way, as I said, one must trust in the power of love. And I'm not talking about the kind that Huey Lewis sang about, right? The power of love as we see in Jesus. The power of love and long suffering. Listen to what Tom Wright says in his book, Broken Signpost. He said, here at last, we have the answer to the paradox of power. Humans are made to exercise power, but true human power was always intended to be exercised through self-giving love. When that happens, power works. 
It may not always achieve the instant results obtained by threats, bullying, and violence, but that's part of the point. And it's a part of the reason why, against the sneer of today's Pontius Pilots, that God's kingdom is not rolling out smoothly the way some might like. And so, dear saints, we must be willing to walk our own via dolorosa, the way of suffering. This is what Jesus meant when he said to deny yourself, to deny, we might say, cross power, to deny the way the world wants to get things done, to deny the way of trying to save your own soul only to lose it, but instead take up your cross and follow me. And who else can do this? Who else has been set apart for this job but the church of Jesus Christ? Who who has believed that the cross is not the end? Suffering and death and loss is not the end. Who believes that the cross holds the power that it does? Power to save, power to redeem, power to overcome evil in God's good time because of the resurrection of Christ. Oh, the resurrection of Christ. It changes everything, folks. It changes everything. It's called Good Friday because we know and we believe that what happened on Easter Sunday is that death itself began working backwards. That imperial justice and power has been judged. Satan has been vanquished that the light is driving out the darkness, that the kingdom of God and his good future is broken into the present evil age. That is power, my friends. It's power when Christ comes back, right, on the clouds of divinity and of glory. It says a sword comes out of his mouth. It's not a literal sword. It's the very word, the logos of God. As God said, let there be light, God will judge the world with cross power. It is the power that's available to us to wield with love, courage, self-discipline, and hope as followers of the risen King. Amen? Finally, listen to what God is telling us this morning through the Apostle Paul. You heard Pastor Melissa say this already. He said this in Romans 8, verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now, can you just stop for a moment and think about that? In worship earlier, I'm sitting there in the front row and I'm thinking about the cold, dead, lifeless body of Jesus wrapped in linens and how through the Spirit of God, God began to regenerate the cells in Jesus' body. The neurons began to fire again. The wounds begin to heal. (laughs) The blood starts to pump heart again. Air comes into his lungs. But he's not just revived, folks. He's resurrected. He's metaphysically changed. Heaven and earth have come together in the resurrected body of Jesus. This is a new reality, which is why later on, Jesus will seem to walk through walls, but yet they touch him. Thomas wanted to touch his wounds so he could believe. This is a new existence. This is the same body, but a different body. This is the power of God. This is the power that Paul says we've received. 
This is the power that we all have access to. Now, you can say, well, I don't believe that's true because I don't experience it. Or you could say to yourself, I have a little ways to go to experience that power because I believe it is true. This ought to remind us that we, yes, it's true. It is the reality of God. We have access to this power. And so we best be on the road to tapping into that power. We need to receive the power of God. We need to walk in it, to live in it. Look at what Paul said. Just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. That is this, this hope and the promise of the resurrection is that what happened to Jesus will one day happen to all of us who believe. And in fact, has already begun in an inward way. Here in a moment, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna put that on display through baptism. It was a, it's an outward symbol and sacrament of an inward reality. Resurrection, when we receive Christ, begins in an inner way. It begins with the changing of our heart and the change of our mind, the changing of our desires and our inclinations, the changing of our identity. What we're ruled by, no longer by the flesh, but by the spirit. Resurrection, folks, has begun in an inward way. And one day it will pervade all of creation. This is good news. Brothers and sisters, we've been given his spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus on the third day so that we might live as resurrection people, to be his agents of new creation. People who embody the mystery of God's power as seen in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And this is why we gather here today. This is why we can face tomorrow because he lives. Brothers and sisters, saints of God, this is why we gather here today. All the signs are leading to the God revealed in Jesus and his good news. Let us rejoice and be glad. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Father, we are so thankful that Jesus was obedient unto death, that Jesus trusted in your power to vindicate him and to raise him victorious over sin and death. And we celebrate this truth. God, help us to align ourselves with the reality of Easter today, that we no longer live in a world of hopelessness, of darkness and despair. It's not been left up to the pilots, but you've empowered your son. You have given him the name above all names, the name by which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So Lord, help your people today. Be encouraged. Holy Spirit, fill us with the hope that only you can give. For we believe that you were raised from the dead. And all God's people said, amen, 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 church.